Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. I want to bring in Mark Niquette, our fearless Bloomberg politics reporter who has been covering this uh, at tick by tick every minute. You've probably been up all night. Uh, with See, big he's, bags still under your, he's still popular. He's still popular. In fact, he's more popular exactly. today than he was yesterday. Um, we're, wait, we're here waiting for Hillary Clinton to speak. She's expected to uh, uh, head to a hotel, The New Yorker, in Midtown Manhattan to give a concession speech. We're also finding out that uh, President Barack Obama is scheduled to speak from the White House at 1215. Mark, what's the most important thing to be watching as far as uh, the tenor of these speeches or the substance? Well, I think a lot of it's just going to be the the tenor. I mean, how does she present this defeat and, you know, the ability of the country to move forward now? I mean, obviously she has, you know, uh, um, an army of supporters who are incredibly stunned and disappointed today and, you know, just can't believe they're waking up in a in a world where Donald Trump's going to be their president. And, you know, she has a, a sort of a duty now to sort of now that she's lost you know, bring bring the country together, at least get the people who are behind her to look to a greater, you know, good here. And that is, you know, moving the country forward, even though, you know, it's just going to be incredibly difficult for, you know, a lot of her supporters and, and the country to accept this result. Mark, I'm wondering if we could go through some of the policy areas that might uh, not necessarily be at the forefront of uh, everyone's minds, but uh, obviously investors need to pay attention to these things. Uh, we've been talking about healthcare stocks during the uh, opening of the market today. You see a big move higher in healthcare. Uh, does this have to do with drug pricing, or is there something else going on? Well, it's probably all wrapped up into the broader, you know, fight over Obama, Obamacare, uh, Affordable Care Act. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty clear that there'll be some effort to repeal and, you know, replace the the sticky wicket of this all. all what are the poli- what are the politics of that? Given that you've got a control, a Republican control in the Senate plus Republican control in, in the House. Well, now they have the ability to do it. I mean, I, what I was going to say is the, you know, the the hang up here all along is what is the replace? I mean, repeal is easy, and and Trump has talked about health savings accounts, you know, but we're going to need a broader plan to emerge, and I think that the markets can really understand that what would be the replacement to, you know, Obamacare if in fact we're going to, st- you know, trash it and start over. So uh, I imagine you've been speaking with political strategists and people pretty close to the Clinton camp. Uh, what has the mood been? What has the color been that you've gotten? Mostly just they're stunned. I mean, they they really went in thinking that, you know, the odds were in their favor that, sure, there was the possibility that Donald Trump could win, but, you know, all the dominoes had to fall the right way for that to happen, and that's exactly what did happen. I mean, he won Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Iowa, all the battleground states he had to win. All that she, all she had to do was win one of those and protect this, the, the Democratic states, and she didn't. She didn't do any of it. And, you know, I think, like I said, just stunned that it's all happened, and, you know, after, you know— three years, essentially, of of running and getting ready to run, you know, it comes to this. Well, and then how about on the Republican side? I mean, I imagine you've also been in touch with uh, operatives uh, on the Republican side, both within the Trump camp as well as outside of the camp. I mean, uh, there's still a pretty 
big bridge to cross here. I mean, House Speaker Ryan in particular, uh, who's going to be speaking uh, in a little bit, uh, certainly has had his issues with Trump. I mean, what's the tenor uh, more broadly among Republicans? I think uncertainty about how it's all going to come together, because now Republicans, as you said, have power. They have control over everything. But, you know, there's a significant gap in, in the Republican Party led by Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, on think about issues like trade immigration where you know Trump was very far from where the party was particularly on trade and you know what's going to have to happen now is how does sort of the governing class of the Republican Party led by Paul Ryan reconcile with sort of the outsider you know different brand of republicanism that you know Trump now represents is going to bring to the White House Um, it's just going to be fascinating to watch actually and you know, you, you see, you know, establishment Republican figures like like Paul Ryan, I think, trying to, like, reconcile this because he never really did get behind Trump in the campaign. And now he has to govern with him. Mark, as we await uh, Mrs. Clinton uh, scheduled to uh, speak at the New Yorker Hotel, uh, is there a future uh, leader of the Democratic Party that you see? What happens next? Is it Elizabeth Warren? Is it Bernie Sanders? What what happens to the Democrats now? That's a great question. And that's going to be one that I think is going to be a dominant one in the next few days within the, within the party because, you know, you, you hear all the hand-wringing. It's already started about, well, you know, couldn't we have somebody better than Hillary Clinton as our standard bearer in this, in this cycle? But, you know, the people you think about are like Joe Biden or, like you say, Elizabeth you know, Warren. And it's, it's unclear whether they would have had any better, you know, running against um, um, Donald Trump. And the big question now is, what is the Democratic bench? Who are going to be the Where's next Where's the Democratic leaders? money? Well, that's the other question, Where's too. Where's that going to go? Exactly. I mean, it's it's there's going to have to be a fundamental sort of soul-searching within the Democratic Party and, and possibly a realignment, because the other thing that was going on in this cycle, you know, the same thing on the Republican side, you saw a push from the left against Hillary Clinton. You know, that's how we saw the Bernie well, Sanders Well, we covered search. that in Bloomberg Business Week uh, throughout the entire cycle, is just as you're, de- just, just as you're describing it. it Yeah, but one thing that I thought was really compelling as I watched the results coming in was uh, the stark divide between rural and urban areas. And I wonder from a political perspective uh, whether – how how abnormal is this from a historical perspective in the United States of America that there is such a marked divide between rural and urban communities? It's not unusual in the sense of of, of party ID or or ideology where, you know, rural America had tended – you know, for a while now to be more conservative, more more Republican. Um, But, you know, one of the things we're going to be looking at today, just sort of analyzing that, you know, that stark difference, because if, you know, just starting to scratch the surface, you can tell that Donald Trump did much, much better in a lot of these rural areas than, say, Mitt Romney did. So again, are we looking at sort of a fundamental realignment of where, um, you know, America is on, you know, these issues like, you know, trade and, and immigration and things that, you know, we really hadn't thought of as sort of mainstream Republican, even if these folks were voting Republican. But there's clearly something going on now that, you know, we're going to have to get behind and understand because you're right, there's just a stark divide in this country between, you know, the, the, the rural areas and even suburban areas that we thought were going to be a little more divided and, and even more favorable for Hillary Clinton that just we're all in for Donald Trump. Mark, uh, a very uh, close uh, popular vote as well, correct? Well, it could be that Hillary Clinton ends up winning the popular right. vote nationwide. So in that ca- in that context, tell us about third-party candidates. Is that a factor at all in what transpired last night? Well, we're going to have to see within these individual states that mattered whether the third party would have been enough to change the outcome 
Um, my initial sense is it probably didn't, that this was really much more an election about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and to the extent that people were voting for third party, it wasn't necessarily diverting votes from one or the other. What is this election going to do for the whole polling industry? There was a story out in the Bloomberg uh, this morning talking about how polls just completely blew it, uh, that, that most of the dominant ones, including ours, uh, had put Hillary Clinton at a steady uh, advantage for a lot of the campaign. Unlike that Los be- Angeles Times poll that we spoke about. Right. Well, there was, was some, wasn't there was an there L.A. Times polls, poll right. that everybody kind of treated as an outlier. Well, but, yes. but why, how did they get it so wrong? Well, and again, that's going to be another thing that has to be reassessed. And I think people are going to be, you know, really looking at hard, you know, what happened here. I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk after the Brexit vote about how did the polls get so, you know, were those polls so wrong? You know, and there were theories going into this election that the polls might not be trustworthy, that Trump supporters maybe weren't answering the phone when pollsters called or they weren't being honest about who they support. Or they were really expressing their views on social media and Facebook and Twitter rather than going to more conventional places for their information, but also to be, as you just described, called by Pollsters. Wait, right. Just, hold on. I just want to say that uh, the latest uh, difference right now for the national popular vote uh, is for Hillary Clinton uh, to have almost 200,000 uh, more votes in the popular vote. So, to so your point, Mark. But. Yeah, and on the polling side of it, you know, I think there's going to have to be a reassessment in that industry, too. I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the success, of, success of a poll is based on what kind of sample you have. Who do you decide to poll? You've been covering, uh, yeah, you've been, co- hold on, you've been covering this forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was there a moment last night where something clicked and you thought, boy, that's the game changer. That's the thing we didn't see. I don't think there was. I mean, there was just sort of a running sense during the night that, you know, this was going to happen because, again, going in, you knew it could happen, but it had to be pick your metaphor, the inside straight, running the table, and you could see it but starting you just to felt happen. It. You could, yeah, you could tell that particularly after uh, Donald Trump won Florida and North Carolina. And then it became this question of, well, if Hillary Clinton was going to win this race, she would have to hold Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And you could tell just the way those votes were breaking down that it was entirely possible she was not going to hold all three and likely that she probably was it would the big, was it Was it also the, the big uh, win for Donald Trump in Ohio? I think Ohio was factored in. I think the, the feeling going into the race that Donald Trump was probably going to win Ohio, he was probably going to win Iowa. But that big? That Ohio? Yeah, maybe not that big. I mean, it was it was thought to be a Trump state, but when you look at even the breakdown in Ohio, he won all but seven counties, and he won these huge Democratic areas. These and it's sort of the classic you know narrative that we've thought about for this race. Like in Ohio, he won counties where you have unemployed steelworkers and areas that lost all kinds of manufacturing jobs, where this appeal to working class voters really resonated. Um, but you know, during the night, it was just uh, you know you could, you could see that. You know, if if she was going to be president, she would have to hold areas that Republicans have no business winning, and in some cases have not won since 1988. You know, I'm talking Pennsylvania and, and Michigan, for example. And, you know, it happened. bring into the conversation Mark Grant. He is the chief fixed income strategist at Hilltop Securities. And uh, Mark, uh, we wanted to follow up on our conversation that we had with you yesterday. Uh, you called the election. Uh, what happens next? And maybe just give us uh, your reaction to uh, the news. 
Well, I think that the country was stunned and Europe was stunned. I think a lot of the sell-off, uh, uh, Lisa just made a comment about it. I speak with a lot of uh, very large uh, money managers all over the world. There's been a big sell-off in uh, Europe, and um, I think that's what is causing, to a great extent, the tens and the 30-year treasuries uh, uh, backing up here. I don't think the Fed is going to do anything in December. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Mark, back up. Uh, can you sure. walk us through why a sell-off in Europe would make yields in the U.S. go up? Sure. A lot of European institutions have been buying uh, U.S. treasuries and agencies and corporates because our yields are so much higher than European yields. And this, uh, Mr. Trump's election unnerved a lot of those people, and they began to uh, sell in earnest um, U.S. Uh, securities. And I think that's having a big impact upon uh, uh, our yields this morning. And weren't investors counting on an interest rate increase in December? Yes, they were, and I don't think we're going to get one now. I think that... Uh, the Fed would be uh, incredibly arrogant given the volatility in interest rates and given uh, Mr. Trump's election to uh, try to uh, uh, impose that upon the markets. And also, of course, with interest rates up like this, <clears throat> borrowing is becoming more expensive, and uh, that'll certainly also have an impact on the markets. Are you buying banks right now? I'm looking at J.P. Morgan shares uh, up substantially on the news. Well, I was going to ask Dave yeah, about that because you're yeah. seeing bank stocks move higher. For example, Wells Fargo is up by nearly 3%. J.P. Morgan Chase up more than 3%. Why would bank stocks go higher if there isn't going to be an increase in interest rates? I thought that was holding back their profitability. Well, but then again, we are seeing bond yields up. So that's a plus for them in terms of their ability to it. earn money on their holdings. And then you have to consider what happens to the restrictions on their business. You know, the Dodd-Frank exactly. Act. You know, do you see changes there under a Republican president or Republican Congress? Certainly anticipation that, uh, you know, the, the regulatory environment will become more favorable for the banks. Mark, you know, to what extent, you know, you were talking about how there's been a lot of selling from European investors. To what extent are we seeing selling from European investors and buying from U.S. investors? I think a lot of U.S. investors are standing back. A number of very large U.S. institutions don't want to do anything for the moment until the dust settles. So I think you're seeing this selling, foreign selling, and U.S. investors kind of standing pat until they can see what happens. And the comment that was just made on the regulations for the banks, I think that's what's driving the bank stocks higher, is the thought that there will be far fewer regulations under Mr. Trump and Mr. Obama, or certainly under Ms. Clinton, and people are taking a more positive approach to financials right now. Mark Grant, uh, you previously spoken about the natural gas and energy industry, and I'm wondering if that is still an area that uh, is going to be affected in your mind uh, by this uh, by Donald Trump's victory. I think that the uh, natural gas, oil, U.S. Uh, fracking firms will get a, a very positive impact uh, from Donald Trump being president. Uh, he uh, has made it very clear in his policies that uh, he wants to encourage that as opposed to buying oil from uh, foreign countries that uh, have a decidedly uh, different take on uh, moral standards and values than we do. 
And I must say that is something I 100% support. You know, I'm looking at the 30-year yield uh, up to two point, uh, almost 2.8% now from 2.6% uh, yesterday. Will this stick? I mean, at year end, are we going to be looking at 30-year at, at yields that are even higher than this, or will they come back down? I think they're going to come back down as people adjust to the fact that uh, Donald Trump is going to be the president. And uh, I think there'll be some more stability in the market. I think, as I said, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, foreign selling, which is causing this backup. And, and uh, the U.S. institutions aren't picking up the slack. So I'm kind of waiting till things stabilize. And then I think it'll be a very good opportunity to uh, be a buyer. Well, I want to thank you very much, Mark Grant, joining us as the chief fixed income strategist for Hilltop Securities. He was on the program yesterday, and he said that he believed Donald Trump was going to become the next president of the United States. He said that that was his biggest contrarian call, and he got it right. And he did get it right. And thank you for being with us. What better way than to kind of take that and introduce uh, Carl Riccadonna, our uh, expert when it comes to uh, the economy? He's the chief U.S. economist. I thought you were about to say uh, expert when it comes to Janesville, Wisconsin. Well, in a way, in I've a been. Way, in, I've he's been. been. He's been there, and and there's a reason for this is because okay, Carl, um, as the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence, sometimes the you know economist actually hits the ground, and you go and see why is Janesville, Wisconsin, interesting in this election. Uh, post-election debate. Boy, it is really the keystone of what happened uh, overnight. So Janesville, Wisconsin was the uh, site of uh, pickup manufacturing for General Motors. Uh, the factory was closed down. And so these are the... December uh, 2008. Exactly. These are the uh, older white males uh, who tend to have uh, high school education or some college uh, who went uh, overwhelmingly in favor of Donald Trump. Uh, now, uh, this message, right, as we as we look at the exit polls and the wound licking and the reassessment uh, all occurs, uh, what we really have to do is look where the surprises occurred. Uh, and the surprises occurred across the Rust Belt. Uh, Ohio and Indiana were leaning towards Trump. Uh, but when we look to states like Pennsylvania, which was supposed to be in the blue column, uh, that went for Trump. Uh, Michigan, same story. Uh, Minnesota, still too close to call. Uh, and Wisconsin was the uh, game changer. Now, Hillary uh, supposedly uh, did not uh, visit Wisconsin uh, since the primaries well, here. So this is, uh, and this is Lisa, a big we, issue. We have to just give Carl uh, the recognition that he deserves because truly, Carl, uh, I know off uh, mic and off camera, for the last really eight to 10 months, 12 months, you have been steadfast in your analysis of the election saying that you really uh, thought that uh, Donald Trump was going to prevail. Okay. Especially that he would carry uh, Rust Belt states. Indeed. The yes. the, the, the free trade message does not ring well uh, in those states because those are the states, places like Janesville, uh, Wisconsin, where uh, workers have really felt the uh, the blunt edge of free trade agreements. Well, so let's break that down. Let's talk about uh, what specifically uh, they objected to, some of the, the people who wanted some change and uh, uh, discourse. Card and to discard the trade the trade agreements. So what are the implications? The economic implications. Well, I, I think one of the, uh, the the key statistics here is uh, look at the uh, the the dramatic support 
uh, from unions uh, for Hillary Clinton. However, exit polls show she only carried about 51 percent of union votes. Uh, that means there were a lot of uh, uh, reruns of the uh, the Reagan Democrats that are now Trump Democrats. Uh, and I think they are very focused on issues like free trade, because every time a trade deal comes down the pike, uh, they don't necessarily feel the uh, cheaper prices that they're uh, uh, getting at Walmart, uh, but they are seeing jobs uh, fleeing across the border into Mexico or elsewhere in the global economy, and they don't see other jobs replacing those. So they feel like free trade has been a losing bet uh, for them. So what happens now? Uh, what happens now? I think that uh, you know uh, Trump uh, has to uh, build his coalition, and uh, you know the, the the first thing you do when you arrive at the White House is uh, figure out how you're going to uh, uh, win your second term. Uh, and if he wants to win a second term, he has to hang on to that coalition of Rust Belt states, which means he has to do something uh, to help them. Uh, so there's going to be a real test for uh, free trade policy and uh, questioning uh, the merits of uh, free trade, uh, especially in these Rust Belt states. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's going to be critical to whether he has a successful term. Now, that being said, uh, it's very unusual for the White House uh, and both the houses of Congress to all fall under uh, one party control, especially to fall under Republican uh, control. Uh, so we've seen that uh, three times in the post-World War II period, uh, once in 1952, uh, with President Eisenhower, uh, and then in 2000 and 2004 uh, with President Bush. Hang on, Carl, because we want to just bring into the conversation Matt Maley, equity strategist at Miller Tabak. And uh, Matt, um, thanks for being with us. Your reaction to the election results and then what you have been hearing from your customers and clients. Well, number one, the reaction, uh, you know, it was funny because last night was, of course, this down 100 points on the S&P was uh, way overdone. To be perfectly honest with you, I think that uh, uh, this is a little bit overdone. To, back to the bounce has been a little overdone. There's still going to be markets don't like uncertainty, and uh, uh, there's still going to be a lot of uncertainty out there. And uh, we also have, you know, yields back up, getting close to 2% on the 10-year on the 10-year yield. Uh, so I think that uh, if, if people want to buy, I think they'll be able to buy at lower levels as we move forward. As for our customers, um, they're, you know, cautiously optimistic. They're trying to, you know, put a uh, trying to put a good light on it, but more than anything else, they're trying to figure out what groups do they need to buy, what groups will do best in a, in a, in a, in a Trump presidency, and uh, that's really what they're working on right now, and they're asking a lot of questions on that on that front. So, so Matt, if you think that uh, prices will go lower from here and valuations will, will deteriorate further, are you suggesting that people sort of hold back and, and sort of keep their cash uh, until there's a more attractive entry point? Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it, before this all happened, I had been saying, geez, you know, if, if Trump you know, pulls a rabbit it out in a hat, which he, which he did, uh, th this would not be the end of the world. We don't have to sell everything. So I'm certainly not saying that this bounce is something we have to sell aggressively. But I do think with people who have uh, money on the sidelines, uh, they should be able to get, it, uh, you know, get back in at lower levels, uh, just again, because of the uncertainty out there and, and also with the way the yields are looking. I, that, that's got to be a problem at some point. You know, Carl, so... Matt was saying that, that Trump pulled a bunny out of a hat, but you were saying, you know, this was sort of actually the expected outcome, at least when you were looking at uh, the picture. Is there anything that you can say concretely about what Donald Trump's economic proposals will look like and how it will affect markets? 
Well, first of all, uh, you know, looking back through uh, past uh, presidential elections, uh, the move on the morning after uh, tends to be negative uh, on average, uh, slightly uh, uh, better than a, a 1% uh, decline, about 0.7 uh, on the uh, S&P 500. Uh, that, uh, whatever that move is on the morning after tends to be sustained for the next week and month, but it doesn't tell us very much uh, about uh, market performance uh, one year down the road. I just want to let everyone know that we are, of course, awaiting Hillary Clinton. She will is scheduled to speak uh, in just about two and a half minutes, and we don't know whether it's going to be on time, but we will, of course, bring that to you in its entirety. She is scheduled to speak at the uh, New Yorker Hotel in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Yes, Carl Rigadonna. Yes. So to jump in to actually answer uh, Lisa's uh, question about uh, what policy would look like, uh, I think in some regards, right, we're we're mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, in New York, at least, uh, uh, you know, uh, collectively, uh, given uh, the difference between uh, the 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 outcome in New York Just versus ahead, the tell us. Uh, national outcome. He's trying to say New uh, York voted for but, Hillary. Uh, but average, this so. looks uh, a little bit like morning in America uh, back in 1980 under President Reagan here because we're embarking on uh, you know the next four years probably having uh, significant deficit financed uh, government spending, whether it's infrastructure or defense or whatnot. Uh, Tax reform uh, and most likely tax cuts that well, may also find, be deficit well, financed. Hang on, let, let Matt Maley, uh, you've been hearing what Carl uh, has been describing. Uh, do you concur with him? Well, the one of the things that uh, it, yes and no, which is uh, not probably the answer you really wanted. But on the one hand, uh, the you know this was supposed to be a, 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 a election of change, and nobody th- thought we were going to get it. Well, sure enough, we did, and that's going to be positive. Uh, just just for just the way people say, let's give them a shot. Let's let, we, we we were so sick and tired of what the, what's been going on in Washington, and nothing's been gotten done. But they're going to have to get uh, follow through and get some things done. My concern is though is that we have because of uh, you know what's happened over the last eight years with what the Fed has done has caused all these corporations uh, to spend, you know, add more debt. There's more total debt in, in, the, in the U.S. than there was in 2007. More importantly, the debt that's been put on is not debt that, that, that helps service that debt. It's stuff to buy back shares. They have not had any kind of investment in their own businesses. That does not, does not pro- uh, provide the kind of foundation that we need that we usually get for a nice big recovery, and we're already eight years in the well, recovery. So I wouldn't be surprised that we saw a little bit of a pullback. Can that's we just do, okay. Okay. okay, can we just do December interest rates, Matt? I was going to yeah. say, you know, Matt, Tell us, you are, are we still on for that 25 basis point increase? I believe see, a lot of people uh, are saying now it's off the table. I don't think so. I think that, uh, first of all, number one, the Fed is more market dependent than most people realize. They're certainly not totally market dependent. Uh, but if the market can hold in there, uh, you know, even if it pulls back a little bit, but if we, you know, I think the Fed, you know, they don't want to be, they're already losing a lot of credibility anyway. The, you know, the Boyle cried wolf, et cetera. If, if they can do it, if the markets are steady and we don't see any real crazy things coming out of Trump or with the economy, I think they'll go ahead and go. Uh, a lot of people say it completely takes it off the table. And that's what we're seeing, of course, with the, the, with the, uh, the short-term rates staying low and the long-term rates moving up, which is positive for the banks. Well, but, but we, uh, we, I want to break in there. I mean, with the longer-term yields rising, I want to talk about inflation. I mean, you're talking about how uh, companies haven't been necessarily reinvesting in, in sort of development and, and pro-growth types of uh, activities. Do you buy what the bond market is telling us today, which is that inflation will pick up 
under Donald Trump as president. Lisa, I I think that it's uh, telling us uh, more inflation, but it's telling us more inflation as a result of uh, faster economic growth. So there's two major trends we really have to keep uh, our eye on here. Uh, One is the fact that the economy has gone through full employment. So we may be worried about market disruptions and whatnot, uh, but taking the unemployment rate from 10% down to 5% uh, means about 15 million workers uh, got a job. That makes the economy much more resilient and able to withstand any uh, uncertainty or, or shocks here. Uh, so uh, one factor is we've, we're very close to full employment or we've gone through it, which means more wage pressures next year, which will provide a significant tailwind to consumer spending. The other half of the story uh, is government spending. So there's been this gridlock between the administration and Congress over uh, expanding uh, fiscal stimulus. Uh, that is likely to go by the wayside, uh, given the uh, Republican uh, uh, sweep uh, across the, uh, the, the halls of uh, Washington, D.C. And so if we're looking at more government spending, uh, tax cuts, uh, and wider deficits, that alone tells you you should be looking at uh, higher interest rates. Can I just put this on the table? And Matt, you come in on this as well. But Carl, I want to kind of continue that thread from Chainsville, Wisconsin, and the production of automobiles or the non-production. Looking at the shares of Ford Motor, they are down nearly 3%. Uh, you see steel stocks moving higher, but uh, I want you, you could tell, tell us a little bit about TP, TTP, well, the, the trade agreement, and what you believe will happen. Go ahead, Lisa's well, waving I just, her hand. I, just, I really wanted to get, Matt, real quick, your take on inflation. Do you think it's going to pick up? Well, one of the things that that I worry about is uh, this whole increase in fiscal fiscal spending. Yes, it's it's coming, but when is it coming? I mean, there's a reason that that, that there's a a presidential election cycle, and the reason for that is that when they any time a new president comes in, especially if they have a a, a majority, they uh, want to put things in that will help them get reelected down the road. They make the tough decisions in the first year, that they may, they pass things in the first year in the fiscal side, but those things tend to kick in in the third and fourth year, so it helps them get reelected. That's why the presidential election cycle is not just doesn't just happen by, by chance. That's why it happens that way. So I'm worried that some of these things that, that, that uh, we're talking about here on the fiscal side will not really uh, help the economy uh, immediately. And that's why I'm a little bit more concerned about 2017. It might be very helpful down the road, but uh, near term, when I'm talking about near term over the next year, it may not be as positive as some people uh, are thinking right now. Fiscal spending is positive for the economy, but it usually gets pushed out because of the the way the the way politics works. They like to make sure that those programs kick in in the third and fourth year of an administration, so it helps them get reelected down the road. I, I agree with the general shape of the uh, profile that those policies may be uh, things that uh, blossom a little later in the term. Uh, that being said, I do think that uh, tax reform, both corporate tax reform uh, and uh, uh, individual income tax uh, returns uh, will be high priorities. Uh, uh, they were already high priorities for uh, uh, candidate Trump, but I think that uh, Paul Ryan uh, in the House of Representatives uh, is really going to want to strike while the iron's hot uh, and uh, make some uh, significant progress on that front. And there also could be uh, foreign earnings uh, repatriation uh, has been one of the priorities of the House Republicans. Uh, Carl Riccadonna, can, can we do a little on trade? And, and what this means for companies that depend on trade? Absolutely. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, looking at uh, things like the TPP, 
you know, initially uh, President Obama uh, suggested that maybe he was optimistic he could push it through uh, before the end of his term, uh, basically uh, ramming it through a, a lame duck Congress. Uh, and I'm not, you know, if you look at those Rust Belt states, they are very anti-TPP and anti-trade agreements. Uh, and so uh, possibly uh, his uh, last ditch efforts to push that through uh, and also uh, uncertainty uh, that was uh, created through the primaries with Bernie Sanders – uh, that uh, Hillary really was not against the TPP or would uh, be happy with some very uh, cosmetic uh, changes to it uh, before she would jump on board. Uh, Tim Kaine, also a big uh, pro-trade uh, 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 politician, uh, that uh, uncertainty was maybe just enough uh, to push Donald Trump over the edge in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, and throughout the Rust Belt. Matt, I imagine that right now uh, you're looking through all the different possible proposals and doing research on companies that could benefit from it. Uh, what are some of the stocks that you're looking at uh, that you're waiting to get cheap enough to jump on? Well, it's interesting. The, uh, the couple of things that uh, that we, we want, I mean, obviously the, the steeper yield curve is very positive for the bank stocks, and they, they have all, uh, uh, they've already had a nice run, and they're you know, moving much higher today. Uh, but I'd like to, again, uh, maybe it's more wishful thinking, but I do think the market will pull back, and these are the things I'll, I'll, I'll be looking at. The other area that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, obviously people are talking about health care right now. Uh, again, that, that may be a little bit of a short-covering rally. We may get another opportunity to buy them at a little bit cheaper levels. But the one area that I don't think people are looking at it as quite as much as they should be is in the defense stocks. So some of these stocks, have, again, they've had a nice bounce, uh, but uh, the situation in Syria, I don't think people, uh, I'm not an expert on, on, on international relations, but I do believe that the, the situation in Syria is much more uh, involved than, uh, than some people think, and uh, it's a very, very important to the Russians. They've moved in there very, very carefully, a very, very, uh, in, a, in a major way, and uh, that may be a bigger flashpoint. Uh, we, it's funny, because we all worry about a black Black swan that's something that comes out of the blue. Well, sometimes a black swan, sometimes we get a big event after something uh, of something we already know about, but we just don't realize it's as big as it is. I was just going to tell you, Lockheed Martin shares are up uh, four and three quarters of a percent right now. And, and I think that these are ones that could go a lot higher. I mean, again, I expect the market to pull back a little bit. Nothing moves in a straight line. I think it would be positive. if. if I mean, so but hang, but hang on a second, Matt. I just want to understand something, because prior to the results of the election, you had many equity strategists explain why a Clinton victory would be better for the stock market than a Trump victory. And yet today, what we see is a rally, and you just nailed it, right? Lockheed Martin, the shares are up four and a half. Raytheon is up six. General Dynamics is up four. I mean, I could go on and on. So it, it, I'm just wondering, how is it that the thinking, the perspective can change so radically when just the other day, everyone was saying, Clinton that would be good for the stock market. Trump would be bad for the stock market. Does that make any I, sense? Well, I think the biggest di difference or the biggest surprise and, and, and what people were not expecting was for either side, but especially the GOP, to win the whole the whole kabang. And so, uh, in other words, everybody's been saying, hey, a divided government's really good. And that has absolutely been the case historically. But this time around, people are like, wait a minute. We are sick and tired of, of nothing getting done. So I think that people are, are, are suddenly going, okay, something's going to change. He, you know, he may not get as much as – we don't want him to get as, maybe as much as everything that he, he's talked about uh, uh, and not letting anybody in the country and all sorts of other things. But they do 
feel that we need change, and if it's going to happen, the only way it's going to happen is if we have the president and both houses on the same side. This gives us more of a chance to see some of the changes, get something through, something passed. Uh, and let's face it, a lot of these people didn't like Trump so much, but it's like, let's give him a try. Let's be, we've been doing the same thing for how many decades? It hasn't worked in the last two decades. Let's try something else. So I think that's the change here. I know that sounds very uh, you know, backward, but I mean, let's, we, we, people want change. And I have been saying for the last couple of weeks that a divided government would actually be negative for the market because people are so sick of it. And now that we're not getting it, that's the surprise that people uh, uh, not so much the Clinton loss is that, that we have a, a one, uh, you know, the Republicans having con- full control of the government, uh, and that finally some some real things are going to pass, some real things are going to change, and uh, hopefully those are good things. If they turn out to be bad things, uh, not so good. But sometimes people are like, change is good. Well, we certainly got a lot of it today, uh, Matt Milley. Thanks very much, equity strategist at Miller Tabak. Carl Riccadonna, uh chief U.S. economist, Bloomberg Intelligence. Want to just give you a final word? Sure. Parting thought. Uh, the sequester is dead. Long live the sequester. Uh, and what you're seeing in the market trends today, I think, is you know higher interest rates. So obviously that uh, should be favorable for banks. But uh, you see more defense spending, more infrastructure spending, uh, and potential uh, barriers to trade uh, being elevated. Those are going to dominate the, the market reaction in the near term until we get more detail. Carl Riccadonna of Bloomberg Intelligence, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.